0: Welcome to another edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'm your host, Gazette Hawkeyes reporter, John Steppi. Got a mailbag edition of the podcast. So thanks to all of our Hawkeye Sports Update text subscribers who sent in a lot of great questions. You can join them by going to joinsubtext.com slash Hawkeyes. So I know this is going be really shocking to hear. Who could ever guess a lot of questions about Ryan Ferentz? Before I get into those, I'll do a basketball question. Well, more so a basketball comment about Luka Garza going off last night. And good for him. Yeah, when I first saw it, I thought, I saw it late last night and I was thinking, man, I'm misreading this. I'm really tired tonight. And then this morning, no, not misreading that at all. 25 points in 24 minutes. Shot 9 for 13, including 4 of 5 from 3. That's certainly an impressive performance from him and really making most of his time in Minnesota. The big question for him that I think was kind of the big question really ever since the NBA draft class that he was in was going to be, okay, what can he do defensively? And that still remains the question. And if he can really improve that side of his game, The offense, as performances like last night shows, he's really capable of contributing offensively at this next level. Then the Brian Ferenc's question I got most was whether defensive points scored count for Brian Ferenc's point quota. For anyone who hasn't seen the news, he's got the two designated performance objectives, 25 points per game this year, and at least seven wins. Otherwise, this contract terminates. If he does hit them, though, the pay cut basically turns into a pay raise. So to answer the question about the defensive points, yes, they do count. So Cooper DeGene pick six, count it. Uh, Nick Jackson or Jay Higgins scoop and score, count it. DeGene returns a punt return for a touchdown, that counts too. So that is the interesting thing is, okay, this quota is here for Brian Ferentz to keep his contract well if things go like how they've gone in past years he might get a little bit of help from his counterparts on defense and special teams and then related question will Brian Ferentz meet his 2023 goals in his contract I think so The bar is not super high when we're talking about seven wins and 25 points per game. You have to look back, excluding, of course, the COVID year where there are only eight games that Iowa is able to play. There's a big asterisk on that. But you look at full seasons, it's been a while since Iowa hasn't hit the seven-win mark. So I don't think that should be a problem. And 25 points per game, that would have been pretty good compared to what they actually had this year where some of those losses would have gone the other way if they were at that 25 points per game level, but all in all, that's not really asking for much when you look at what Iowa did pre 2020, well, 2020 and before really offensively with Brian Ferrens' coordinator and what happens across the country. 25 points per game really isn't that high of a bar. So I think it is very doable, especially when you look at the schedule last year, you had Ohio state and Michigan, both in the regular season, not easy matchups there this year, your crossover games are Michigan state Rutgers and Penn state, not in that order, but just in the order of that came into my head. So You look at that and okay, Penn State going to Happy Valley is not an easy game, but avoiding Ohio State and Michigan especially makes that, I think, an easier task. And you look at the non-conference schedule with Utah State, Iowa State, Western Michigan. That's not the hardest non-conference schedule either. So I think it's very much doable for him to meet those goals. And You know, how could I not mention the talent too? You've got Cade McNamara. You've got Eric Hall coming in. You've got Luke Lachey coming back. You've got a lot of talented players coming in. You have Caleb Johnson coming back. If you can't hit the 25 points per game number with this team, you kind of wonder what it would take to get to that mark. Then will 2023 be a successful season? I think it depends a little bit depending on what you consider a success. There's an opportunity here with Iowa is mentioning the not as strong schedule in 2023 and also take a look at what's happening around the Big 10 West. Wisconsin is going through a coaching change, Nebraska is going through a coaching change, and Purdue is going through a coaching change. So I think there's an opportunity here for Iowa if they can get the offense back together getting Nick Jackson The linebacker transfer from Virginia goes a long ways in terms of shoring up kind of the biggest question mark on defense, which was linebackers. Now I think you'd feel pretty good about that position. I think you have a high ceiling just because of how much of an opportunity is out there. Now, do I think this is going to be a team that's going to really be in the thick of it with Ohio State and Michigan? Probably not at this point. I could be wrong, but... I think this is very much a team that is capable of going to Indianapolis between the improvements in terms of talent that they have and looking around and seeing what's happening in the rest of the division. Of course, if the offense doesn't improve, okay, well then Indianapolis seems a lot harder. So there are a bunch of contingencies there, asterisks there that, okay, You need to have some offensive improvement to really have a realistic shot at it happening. It almost happened this year, despite having one of the worst offenses in college football. But the odds go a lot higher if the offense can get to be even just kind of at an okay level while defense and special teams continue to succeed then will Iowa's offensive line step up and be the type of line Iowa usually provides? I think it's possible they have more experience than they've had in the previous two years. It's really though going to come down to how much do they develop in these next six months. That's the determining factor. I think as Iowa's offensive line goes, if they succeed, I think the odds of Iowa's offense succeeding really jump a lot higher so it's to me I think the key kind of number one question mark in terms of personnel for Iowa is going to be how much does this offensive line improve I think you can make a case for why it could when you look at a lot of the guys who have another year of development but we haven't seen the proof yet in terms of some of these guys developing yet so it's just hard to know. Really, at this point, question about running game being successful and leading to a better passing game. I think, as long as Caleb Johnson is healthy, you're in a really good spot at running back. And I think the thing that really stood out to me with Caleb Johnson is his ability to run after contact this year. And if the offensive line does not make much of a jump this year, you still have a running back who can make progress after contact as well as caleb johnson did so if you establish the run i think that certainly helps with the pass the other thing that kind of goes without saying with the pass in game two is play calling also has a big impact on that where the more plays can be designed to set up iowa's best players to succeed the more likely that passing game is going to be effective Now a question about whether Iowa considered replacing the offensive line coach. I know a lot of people were frustrated with the offense and some of that frustration extended to George Barnett, the offensive line coach. I think a couple of things that kind of happened to my mind. One is it was a really young group and I think that has a factor in what happened. I think also the development did not happen as quickly as you would have liked to see as well. So I think it's a combination of reasons for why the offensive line did not succeed. I've heard a lot of great things about George Barnett and Kirk Ferentz has publicly supported him whenever the question, well, even just going back to last week said that they're getting good coaching. So I don't think that was something that was ever really under significant consideration. Um, players seem to like him too. So I'll be curious to see what this next year looks like with the offensive line, because now he has a more veteran group to work with rather than early on. Those were some young offensive lines. And in some ways the offensive line took a step back, this year and i think some of that too is okay if you're somebody like connor colby and your freshman year you're working next to tyler Winterbaum, working with somebody that that's who's that good right next to you can help you out a little bit and then you go from that to having a center who is brand new to the position with logan jones and that's why players at other positions may have also taken a step back. But this is me the key year here for offensive line development to see, because you can say, okay, it was a young group. You can say that in 2022. You can say that in 2021. That doesn't really apply to 2023. So I think the offensive line is something to prove this upcoming season. And then a question, is the Brian Ferentz new compensation package anything other than a bone to throw to the fans as a means to lessen criticism about Brian Ferentz, Kirk Ferentz, and Gary Varda? I think there is a kind of performative aspect of this where they can now say, we would have fired him if he didn't hit 25 points per game and if he didn't win seven games, but hey, he did this. So I think there is some benefit for them in terms of a PR standpoint. In reality, though, I'm not sure how many people expect them to really not hit either seven wins or 25 points per game. The 25 points per game is probably the bigger question mark. Certainly the bigger question mark than the seven wins, especially with this schedule. So with how low the bar is, yeah, I think there is a good point. They're kind of being brought up in that question about, you know, this being to some extent, a bone to throw to fans, you know, who have really been thirsting for a change where there is technically that path at the same time. I think you'd probably look at it and say that this situation where at least there's a definitive metric in Brian Ferentz's contract, that if he doesn't meet it, his contract terminates. I think that's more accountability than he's seen. That's the other thing too, is you at least have a little more accountability than at least was publicly visible before. And then another question about why the bar was set so low on when you take away the past two seasons, 25 points per game, on the lower end of scoring averages and comment about how the seven wins is basically about how low the seven wins are and question am I out of line for having that expectation I think if you're a fan Iowa's expectations should be higher than seven wins in a given season that's for sure and I think The goals in terms of Brian Ferentz's contract do not really line up with where Iowa should be going, where the bar is a lot higher for where Iowa should be going. I think that's very much fair for fans to have those expectations, considering the resources that Iowa has and the landscape that they're in with this Big Ten West. Seven wins does not have the most... Impressive ring to it. And then a question about um why Iowa has missed some of the legacy recruits, whether that's TJ Bowers, Ismail Smith Flores, Mac Markway, Kyler Casper. Um, I think reasons vary from case to case. Like you take somebody like Mac Markway, if I'm remembering correctly, he had a relationship with one of the LSU coaches. So relationships with coaches can be sometimes an aspect of it. You know, TJ Bowers liked Wisconsin's engineering school. If I'm remembering correctly on that, you've got Kyler Casper, who's a wide receiver and that alone says something where, okay, if you're a wide receiver and you have the options of Oregon or Iowa, I think most people are going to choose Oregon, especially if they didn't grow up in the state of Iowa. So I think, Reasons, yeah, I don't think there's one underlying thing of, okay, this is why Iowa hasn't been able to get a bunch of these legacy recruits. Obviously, you'd like to get them when you have that Iowa connection. And they've gotten others. And they've gotten other recruits who have been legacy players from other schools as well. But it's certainly... You take a case like Smith Flores, who's going to Nebraska, and if he succeeds there, that may sting a little bit for Iowa of, oh man, could have had this guy and almost did. So it's an interesting question, though. The recruiting world, too, with today's day and age, there are factors like NIL, too, that could always play into it, so... I think you've got a lot of factors and you have an advantage with the legacy recruits, but it's certainly not a guarantee as some of these recent examples show. And then a question about how Iowa's offensive coordinator salary compares to other Big Ten offensive coordinators. USA Today puts together a database of assistant coach salaries, and according to that, it looks very much like Brian Ferentz is in the same ballpark, at least as a lot of other offensive coordinators. So no real surprise there in terms of what other schools are paying. But it's interesting, Kurt Ferentz's most recent contract extension going back to January, 2022 includes that $7 million assistant coach salary pool. And that makes a difference in terms of being able to, recruit and retain high-quality assistant coaches. So with that salary pool, Iowa should be in kind of that upper tier of assistant coach salaries in the Big Ten, certainly. Will Nick Jackson, the new Virginia linebacker, be able to fill Jack Campbell's role in time? That's a high bar there if you're looking at Jack Campbell. There's really only one Jack Campbell. Iowa's had a lot of really good linebackers over the years, but Jack Campbell has been the only Butkus Award winner, been the only William V. Campbell trophy winner. So you look at that and, okay, is Nick Jackson going to be the next Jack Campbell? I think that would be a pretty difficult thing to ask of somebody, but he is a very experienced linebacker who should, I think succeed in this Iowa offense, or excuse me, Iowa defense. He really fills a need where Jay Higgins has had experience, but he can't play all three spots at one time. So you could have a situation where if you have Nick Jackson at the mic, you have Jay Higgins at the will, and then Tyler Fisher at Leo. I think that's a pretty good trio there. Obviously not jack campbell seth benson and and jacobs level of a trio but still a really respectable trio there that should very much be able to hold their own in big 10 play and that's a wrap for the questions for this week's hawk off the press podcast thanks for everyone who submitted questions and thanks for tuning in until next week we will talk hawks later